you know, at Christmas time, there are sometimes gifts that are given to one person that end up blessing many others. I remember several years ago hearing from, in one of our families, dad gave mom uh, the gift of a trip to Hawaii. And uh, the kids were all excited, of course, because they, they got to go too. Something that has happened in my family, uh, mom gives dad a new barbecue. And, um, you know, everybody's going to get to enjoy, um, hopefully, um, if it's used rightly, what, what comes off of, of that grill. It's not a burnt offering. Yeah. So for for the sake of clarity, I wished everyone except Rodney uh, a Merry Christmas. Love you, brother. Um, Pam and I have some longtime friends that um, a couple we've known for almost as long as we've been married. And over, we've raised our kids together, and, and um, now their kids are together. And over the years, they have been so generous to us, and um, we've actually hosted parties in their backyard. <laughs> and um, we've gone kayaking using their new pickup truck <laughs> that just happens to have a kayak rack that fits our kayaks, which is very nice. And um, even last summer, we vacationed in a timeshare cabin at Glacier that uh, is theirs. And um, I, I sometimes tease my friend Jim. I say, Jim, I'm so glad we bought this truck. And I'm, so, I'm so glad we bought this timeshare. And uh, just trying to acknowledge in some feeble way that, you know, I benefit tremendously um, from things I haven't even paid for. Last weekend, he let me know that um, he's thinking about adding a timeshare cabin right next to the one that we vacationed in last year because he thought it would make room for more people. And I, I just assured him that that would work great for our family. <laughs> and uh, I totally affirm that decision. I'm, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we did that. Well, by now, you're in Matthew 11, I know. And we're, we're reminded in Matthew's gospel that our... Peace with God, the forgiveness of sin that we enjoy, our everlasting citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is a gift from the Father, received by the Son for our everlasting benefit. God's gift to his Son is a kingdom and a people for his glory. Think of what we heard read to us earlier from the scriptures, the declaration from heaven, glory to God in the highest. How many of you know salvation is to do with the glory of God? And it it brings God glory for you to be a beneficiary of this gift to his son, this gift of a kingdom and a people. This kingdom is a gift from the Father to the Son for the benefit of people like us who do not 
did not, cannot ever pay for it or earn it. And so we'll keep things fairly simple this morning. I simply ask you, are you a beneficiary of God's gift to his son? How are you a beneficiary of God's gift to his son? Let's look at the text this morning. You find Christmas all over the Bible. As it turns out, the whole book is to do with Jesus. And so here it is in Matthew 11 in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Notice with me, the verse I got stuck on, verse 27, the gift, something handed to the Son from the Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, says Jesus. Everyone who heard Jesus speak those words when he first spoke them would have rightly understood that Jesus, the man, is identifying himself as divine. Don't miss that. Jesus unequivocally equates himself with God. Who is this Jesus? What, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Jesus is God born into humanity. He is God the eternal son and we read now the, the red-letter words of the son, no longer a baby, but a man here in Matthew 11. And he rejoices to have received from the father a kingdom and a people for his glory. All things necessary for this kingdom planned in eternity past belong to the son. And we've been singing about that. The king was born into time, into human experience, and now is doing in his humanity everything necessary to bring the kingdom to his people. In fact, if you were to, if you were to read uh, this, this, this letter from God's heart to yours from cover to cover, you would notice a, a primary theme and that theme is simply this, the son will have the kingdom given to him and he will have the people promised to him. No need to doubt that at all. You say, well, I look around the world today and it doesn't seem like that. Well, it's not to do with what you see. The kingdom has been advancing since Christ's birth and it is advancing still today relentlessly as people like you, people like me, born in sin, turn from that sin 
and turn in humble allegiance to this Jesus, this, this king. And we just sang that truth, didn't we? Let, let loving hearts enthrone him. One heart at a time, enthroning heaven's king. That's how the kingdom advances. And the scripture says it, it will advance until one day this Jesus, this king, and his chosen people will enjoy a kingdom of righteousness, joy, light, wellness, peace, Life as God intends for his image bearers to live and enjoy, and this kingdom will have no end. So Merry Christmas. I mean, this is quite a gift. And your entire Bible, as it turns out, is to do with this king and this kingdom. In Psalm 2, for example, the father says to the son, says to his anointed king, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. This giving of the nations is happening now as people from all nations. Every tribe and tongue, the scripture says, turn to Christ. The gospel is to go to the ends of the earth. Amen? It's no wonder the angels declared from heaven, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Just picture in your minds, not a bunch of cuddly little chubby cherubs, but the king's angel warriors thundering from heaven, a vast and mighty choir, their king and commander has come to claim his world, and he's come to claim his people, the Father's gift to his Son for his glory. Revelation 11, you're still listening. Revelation 11 says this, there is a day coming when loud voices will once more thunder from heaven. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. What a wonder this is, this, this gift of God to, to his son. And, and we could continue uh, along this vein for a while now in, in Matthew 11. Theologians refer to what I'm describing as the covenant of redemption. Our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, agreeing to all of this in eternity past, the Father choosing a people, the Son redeeming a people, the Spirit awakening, revealing to a people all those who will come to God on his terms. In fact, there's deep theology here in these few verses that we've just read. Uh, this is one of the clearest expressions, by the way, of God's sovereignty in, in salvation. The very words of Jesus, and yet also man's responsibility. And you notice that Jesus doesn't untie that knot for us. He, he simply describes the terms of salvation, the terms of coming to God, entering the kingdom in a way that all of us can understand. And so we're just going to focus on that. And, and in other words, this is the beginning of the this, this sermon, okay? Who 
are the beneficiaries of God's gift to his son. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. At what time? But remember, Jesus uh, spoke these truths in response to the, the, the unbelief, the, the rejection of Christ by religious people living in Galilee who, who knew more about Jesus uh, than anybody else on planet Earth at that time. Those people who heard Jesus preach and teach as if he himself were the fountain of all wisdom, those people who saw his miracles as if he were the very power of God himself, those people, despite all of that blessing, the learned, if you will, rejected Christ. And I pray this morning you are not like those people, knowing all about Jesus, but more than most people, perhaps. None of this new to you, and yet still not receiving Christ. How different is our Jesus from us? Think about how you and I respond to rejection. Jesus is not despondent. Jesus is not discouraged as he's confronted with this unbelief. He he doesn't worry for a moment that the kingdom has stalled, that that its future is uncertain, that his own kingship is somehow in jeopardy. Um, No, instead, he's grateful. And, And he cries out to the Father in gratitude. Jesus is exuberant here in Matthew eleven twenty five, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. Notice that Jesus rejoices in a concealing work of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is concealed, hidden from some people by God himself. This is God's sovereign will. To whom is the good news of God's salvation for sinners concealed, hidden? Well, Jesus says, those who are wise in their own eyes. Those who believe they can get to God via their own understanding, their own ability their own works, if you will, to such people, Jesus says, the the gospel remains hidden. It it remains concealed. I don't know if this was in your news feed, but it was in mine. Scientists um, have recently used artificial intelligence to try to show people what God looks like. Did you read about this? It's just my news. I'm not making this up. I don't think I could make this up. Um, man in his vast wisdom has used artificial intelligence, which I think is well-named, um, <laughs> has used artificial intelligence to survey a whole bunch of religious people all over the world and feed their ideas about God into a computer and, and then ask the artificial intelligence, show us the face of God. 
lots of interesting results. Most of the images look feminine or androgynous, which is an interesting statement about our culture. Um, although there was one uh, picture of an old bearded man's face coming out of the side of a mountain, kind of like an ethereal, you know, Mount Rushmore type thing. And, and you just got to think, how, how silly are the attempts of some worldly wise um, intellectual people when it comes to discerning God. You see, you'll never get to God that way. What, what does God look like? The scientists want to know. Well, what, what does the Bible say? Listen to Hebrews 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You want to see what God is like, you need to look to Jesus, who is God. And I want you to just notice the kingly language there, glory, power, majesty. This, this is to do with a king, heaven's king, and it's to do with a people. And, and so in our text this morning, Jesus says, look, you, you who are wise in the worldly sense, you who depend upon your own intelligence, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And that word know, maybe circle that in your Bible or your friend's Bible, is, is not to do with the intellect. So this morning the issue isn't so much do you know the facts of, of, of what is being spoken to here, the gospel facts. That's, that's important. But, but it's more than that. It, it, it's not to do just with the intellect. It's, it's not just to do with scholarly wisdom. It's to do with personal, intimate knowledge of God. It's to do with knowing God from the heart. Who knows the Father intimately, personally? Well, says Jesus, the Son. The Son knows the Father. Who else can know the Father? Intimately, personally, anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And, and that is our prayer, is it not, Christians? Right now, today? God hides this knowledge, this personal, intimate knowledge of himself. It is only unveiled through the Son, through Jesus. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Look elsewhere, and the way is hidden. Are you hearing this? We have this thing that we do at our house, a Christmas tree, hide the pickle. Anybody else hide the pickle? Is it just, is it just us? One person in the back? Kim Irk taught me this years ago. Is she here? Thank you, Kim, for being here to testify to that. It's a thing. 
and I, nobody knows where it came from, but you get an ornament that looks like a pickle, you hide it on the tree, and the little kids try to find the pickle. And, and the grandkids love to find the pickle. And uh, I've forgotten why I'm telling you this. Oh, here, here's why, here's why. Um, we try to hide stuff. Listen, we try to hide stuff. Inevitably, somebody finds it. You may try to hide some stuff about yourself. All things are seen by God. The reality of your heart is seen by God. God doesn't have any kind of problem when he hides things. Be sure of that. When a sovereign God hides his truth in this way, it remains hidden. Don't misunderstand, though. God does not hide natural things from people. The natural man can understand science, and he can understand mathematics and biology and medicine, and, you know, God's fallen image bearers um, operating only by natural revelation. How gracious is, is the Lord to allow this? We can achieve an awful lot. We can even invent so-called artificial intelligence. AI can write your term paper, and it can even drive your car. Um, but, but the early word on that is check your insurance, I mean, just, just to be sure. Um, man-made intelligence can do a lot of stuff, but it cannot get you to God. The natural man cannot achieve personal, intimate relationship with God. A veil separates man from God. The, your sin is that veil separating you from this intimate, personal knowledge of God. And, and Matthew has actually shown us, are you guys still with me? Matthew has actually shown us something incredible in his gospel, and that is that, that God will even allow the natural man to have knowledge of the Bible. I'm thinking of the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and you, you just got to wonder, what, what about today's scribes and Pharisees? Man can know systematic theology, reform theology. Man can know the facts about the person and work of Jesus Christ eschatology. Boy, we like to debate that one, don't we? We know so much. And you can know all of that stuff and not personally know God. I beg you to hear this. God does not even hide from man the ability to teach and preach. Did you know that? Do church work go on mission trips and play an instrument or sing praises to the king. Such abilities in and of themselves are no measure of one's knowing God personally and intimately. So when Jesus praises the Father for concealing these things from the wise and the intelligent, he's referring to the concealment of personal 
intimate knowledge of God. You know, you can know all about a person and not actually know that person. This is not complicated stuff. I, be, I bet you could, even, even in, a, in a crowd this size, you could take all of the accumulated knowledge of, of say, Elvis Presley and, and Taylor Swift. Have you heard about Taylor Swift? And I, sh- I should have said, are you tired of hearing about Taylor Swift? And, and you could add... A group this size knows more about those people than those people know about themselves. But you don't know those people. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. And so you have to ask yourself, all of us smart people, let's just assume we're all smart people. To whom then are these wonderful truths of God's gospel revealed? Or, or we could say, who, who can be the beneficiaries of God's gift then to the Son? Again, the words of Jesus. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Now circle that in your Bible too because that's the best news ever. Jesus says, I praise you, Father, that you have revealed these things hidden to all others. You've revealed them to infants. The gospel God hides completely from some. He is pleased to reveal effectually to others. In other words, they get it. And nothing could be more different from the scholar than a, than a little baby. A baby, not unlike the one laid in a manger, surrounded by shepherds. Now pay attention now because we're, we're going in a direction. We understand that Jesus is not referring to age. Here in Matthew 11, he's referring to how a person sees himself in his own eyes. How a person sees herself in relation to God. Watch the youngest among us, little ones. Wasn't it fun to see some of them last night? But I mean, even younger than that. Younger than that. See how they need. See how they depend. See how they trust in mom and and believe in dad. And and they rest as their basic needs are being met. And and they're, they're glad for it. They're just glad for it. So Jesus takes us back not not to the university or the seminary. Um, to, when, we, when we must think of what it is to know God intimately, he takes us back to the very beginning of life, to the age we, we, we can scarcely remember at all, especially those of you like me who can't remember most of yesterday, um, back to the age of our total dependence and our eager learning. When mom or dad told us something and we believed it, and we just received it. By the way, parents, that's why we need to be careful what we say to children, right? They trust. They believe. A couple years ago, I was trying to figure out 
how to get one of our grandsons to eat his dinner. And um, so I very quickly made up a story, made up a story, note that, about a friend of mine, Dirk Schmeckpepper. And Dirk Schmeckpepper drives a monstrous truck, and he's really strong because he always eats his dinner. And, and Dirk has a friend, Danny Wimpersnivel, and, and Danny's not very strong. Um, Danny never eats his dinner. And, and the thing of it is, is that tall tale didn't work that night, <laughs> nor has it ever since. Um, babes trust. Infants trust. Little kids trust. And people sometimes think of God that way. He's just a kind grandfather trying to get people to receive what they need but don't want. You, you can't look at this morning's text and think of God that way ever again. Not, nothing could be farther from the truth. Our Father has taken great t- care to tell us nothing but the truth about you and about himself in the person of Jesus Christ. What, what does he tell you about you? Well, he tells you that you're a sinner, that, that you are born perishing, not just physically, but spiritually. Hellbound. Born in that state. And you're in need of rescue. And, and, and what does he tell you about this Jesus? He is your rescue. And he is your only rescue. He is, he's the savior. He's the king. And you have to look to babes and infants, says Jesus, if you're to understand the nature of one to whom this gospel truth is revealed. This is wonderful news. Any of us can get it. Jesus is not only God born into humanity, Jesus is God born for humanity, for humanity's rescue. What a wonder is this incarnation we're, we're celebrating. And we'll sing that in just a little bit. For a world in darkness, frozen like a stone, light is breaking in a stable for a throne. Who gets this? People who come to God as infants? People who come to God on his terms as, as, as little babies, as needy, dependent Believing? What a surprise this must have been to the good, decent, religious people of Capernaum or Chorazin or Bethsaida in Jesus' day. And, 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 and what a surprise it still is for people today. You must come to God this way. God's gift of salvation must be received the way infants receive what they need and cannot obtain themselves. Well, what do we know about infants? What what do we know about babes? Infants don't deny they have need. Do you? I mean, with respect to the gospel, do you? 
I mean, can you, in your own conscience, deny that you are a violator of God's law? And you've lied and lusted and looked everywhere but to God for satisfaction. In other words, you're a sinner. And, and your great need is to receive God's forgiveness. And he offers this forgiveness that you need in Jesus Christ. Your great need is to have your conscience scrubbed clean. To, to have your guilt removed by God himself. And so you might just ask yourself, do, do, do I acknowledge this need? Or am I yet denying it? Infants don't deny they have a need. They cry out. And they receive. And friend, you can do that today. What is the cry of one who comes to God as a babe, as an infant? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I read that somewhere. God delights to respond to his children when they simply cry out in this way. What else do you know about babies? Babies don't pretend they can meet their need themselves. Do you? Do you really imagine that you can make yourself right with God somehow? If you just go to church enough times. What if you went to both services, huh? If you just learned more about God, though that, that would be a, a wonderful thing. What if you just stopped doing so many wrong things? Again, a wonderful thing. Started doing more right things. A wonderful thing. But you can't think that somehow you'll do all that and meet your own need to be right with God. It's not so. Jesus is saying so clearly here, there's no hope in that. You cannot know God personally, intimately, savingly that way. What else do you know about infants? Infants respond to their need with urgency. Have you noticed that about little kids? They're urgent when you don't want them to be urgent. They have a great urgency. They will not rest until their need is met. Ask, ask any of our parents with little ones here. Um, that little one needs to be comforted. That little one needs to be cleaned up. And, and, and until the, that need is met, they, boy, they let their urgency be, be known. You know, there are just a few things at my age that make me twitch. And, and one of them is when I hear people say, I guess all we can do now is pray. Please don't say that unless you want to see me twitch. That's the, that's the first and best thing any of us can do is pray. But something else that really makes me twitch is when I hear people complain about babies crying in this room. Please don't ever complain about babies crying in our gatherings. Is it possible that God purposely designed them that way for our benefit? That we might have a constant reminder that you must come to him this way. Urgently, desperately. 
Have you urgently cried out to God for the only comfort there is, the only way to get cleaned up that there is? Isaiah prophesied of this great need being met in Christ. Listen to the words of Isaiah. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. And and then the people of God, his Jerusalem, if you will, God says to this, her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand. Have you received from the Lord's hand? The pardon made available only in Christ. The scandal of the gospel, friends, is not its complexity. The scandal of the gospel is its simplicity. Come to him as a little baby, as as an infant. Think of an infant's little feet. Boy, an infant's feet are so so cute. They, they, They make an imprint of it at the hospital, or at least they used to. Do they still do that? That's a good idea, I think. You can frame it, put it on the wall of your house. Little baby feet are so precious. There must be some other reason they do that. Christ only used his feet to walk in the Father's will every day of his life in his humanity. He he lived daily in his humanity the righteous life that you and I have failed to live. That you and I couldn't live, try as we might with our own natural wisdom, intelligence, effort, all of that. You think of a, think of a little baby's hands, how, how precious they are when they, that hand curls around your, your finger. And Christ's hands were stretched out on a cross, weren't they? The God who created the trees used to make that manger, the God who created the forest that got broken down to make that Roman cross. The, the God who hid the, the metals in the earth used to form the nails that pierced his innocent hands. God came to willingly die the only death that atones for your sin, for my sin. So here in Matthew 11, Jesus rejoices in all of this. He's living toward the cross, and yet he rejoices in all of this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. If, if you're here this morning and, and, you're, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I wonder, I wonder if somebody like me were, were, were to just do that. Cry out to God like a little baby for what he needs. Cry out to God like a little infant for what she cannot provide herself, forgiveness, a clean conscience, right standing with God, 
a share in a kingdom that will last forever. Well, our king says it is well-pleasing to the Father to save people this way. And so the king's invitation is what? Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, when I was telling you about our friends, the people um, whose yard we've hosted parties in, and the, the people whose pickup we've used to haul our kayaks around in, people who I hope get that second cabin. <laughs> um, I hope you thought well of them. But, but it, it occurs to me, listening to that, listening to myself say that, that um, you might have thought about Pam and I. Man, what a bunch of freeloaders. <laughs> Listen, do you, th- do, you, do you think the gospel is good news? Desperate as we are, we must come to God as the ultimate freeloaders. How does that sit with you? You realize you bring nothing to the table but your need to be saved from sin. You bring nothing but your craving for mercy, for forgiveness, for peace, the blessing of God's favor, the the share the king gives to his people of everlasting life. And as you come to Christ empty-handed like that, unable, but believing, trusting, like an infant, and he welcomes you. And the Father treasures you as the Father treasures his Son. I urge you to come to Christ on those terms. And I urge you, Christian, have you forgotten that you're meant to keep coming to God on those terms? I don't mean to be saved again and again. I just mean to enjoy what he has for you. In the, in the best life that God has for his people. Jesus says, remember, you're yoked to me. And my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Until you forget who the king is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your glory in the gospel. We thank you that you in your infinite wisdom, set apart a people for your glory and ordained to give a kingdom to your son, an everlasting kingdom. And Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do this day, that you would unveil 
this wonderful truth that has been perhaps hidden to some. And Lord, you would exalt Christ in the hearts of people here today, that you would bring salvation to this place, that your kingdom would grow among us. Jesus, we thank you so much that you left the glory of heaven and you humbled yourself to be a bondservant to the Father for our great benefit. Lord, we pray all of these things so that it would be well-pleasing to grow your family in this part of your world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.